Uh, I'll intro myself. My name's Ryan. Uh, my wife, Nicole, who was on the guitar. Um, we're your gathering leaders. So if you've just joined Divergent Church or you just turned up, we're your gathering leaders. And it's a really interesting topic today um, because we've been doing this series called What's Your Language? And it's not about swearing, although you shouldn't do that either. We might have a series later, who knows, or, or I can just have a one-on-one -on -one with you one time. No, it's not about... Uh, not about swearing, it's actually about the language that we use within the church that may set up the wrong idea, have the wrong expectation, and therefore might be quite damaging to church itself. So this week, we are learning about this question that I get uh, a lot, are you the pastor? Question mark. A quick survey here, um, how many people grew up uh, in church? I grew up in church, yep. And what would you call your leader? Um, pastor, yeah. A lot of people would have grown up in a church, uh, in a denomination that ha used the word pastor. And usually people would, would be using that to mean leader. But with the word pastor, we have a lot of um, cultural expectations on that leader when you call him pastor. And sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. And that's what I've been loving about this series because I've, I've spent 27 years in church. Even when I was going through a rough patch in uni, and you guys will go through it, I was still going to church. I was just leaving, living a double life. <laughs> but I've been in church for 27 years, and furthermore, my dad is a minister and has been called pastor his whole life. I always knew him as pastor, and therefore, watching my dad be a leader, be a pastor, gave me an understanding of what it means to be a pastor or a leader, which may not actually be biblically correct. Biblically correct. So I thought, when people, when people ask me that question, are you the pastor, I, I get a bit awkward because A, my dad was a minister and I, and I think about what, what he did and, 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 and I'm like, I can't compare to what he does or what he did. And, and to clarify, he's a Baptist minister and he, uh, he's a full-time minister, he gets paid, he's been to theological uh, college, and these are the things that we think pastors slash leaders need to have in order to lead or to pastor. And we also get this thought that the pastor is the person responsible for pastoring, as in to care for, to be pastoral, the whole congregation. And I watched my dad do this, and he, was, he did a great job at it, but it actually wasn't his natural leaning it wasn't his natural ability he was a great teacher and he would what he would do whenever we came to a church um he would spend the first six months inviting every single person over to church every sunday we would have a new couple a new family a new group of people and he would learn their names he would learn everything about them but i saw the real dad after and he's actually quite reserved quite introverted um very good at hard truths for his children. Um, so I would, I would argue that my dad didn't have this typical pastoral gifting that we are going to look at today because what we want to talk about and what we want to encourage at this church, and it's through Ephesians 4, and everyone who's been to Divergent Church is like, oh, another fivefold giftings sermon. But it's good. It's, it's, it's good to talk about it, and, and it's going to be a great one today. <laughs> But the, the teaching that we're going to be going through is that in Ephesians 4, it says that Christ gives gifts to the church for equipping. And these offices 
of apostle, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, we want us to remember when we read in Scripture that that pastor, among all the other four, is not a job title. We don't see that in the Bible. It's actually a gifting on people's lives. And you don't have to be a leader to pastor people. That doesn't qualify you to be a leader. What qualifies you actually is knowing who Christ is, submitting to Him, and allowing Christ to work through you, and allowing those giftings to flow out of you and use them to equip others. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So am I the pastor? How about we find out? Let's start by, by debunking the word pastor. Let's do a word study on what it is, where it comes from, what we see in the Bible. So the word pastor, in Greek, pronounced poiman. Is that right, Connor? <laughs> Connor. Yeah. I did the same thing to Scotty today um, because he comes from a Greek family as well and everyone cracked up. But no, the word poiman means... In Ephesians, it's the only time where literally the word pastor in English is used in our translations. The same word poiman everywhere else in the New Testament, in the Greek, um, is talking about shepherd, as in, as in a sheep herder. It's, it's curious that the only verse in the whole New Testament, in Ephesians, when it gets translated to English, goes to pastor and everywhere else is shepherd. And I'll break it down for you. It says 15 times it is used in the context of literal shepherds. Two times to describe Jesus as the shepherd. So Mark 6.34, for example, it says, He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Poiman. Is that right, Connor? <laughs> and he began to teach them many things. And only one time the word pastor is actually written as pastor in English. So it's curious. Why? Both of the places mean shepherd, so we can... We can say that, that the, the word pastor and the gifting pastor is about shepherding, and we can learn a lot about that from, from learning about literal sheep herders. And that was the analogy that, that the writers wanted us to walk away with when we, we learn and, and hear about the word pastor. But I want to start by reading from Ephesians 4, from 7, our favourite verse. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives... And gave gifts, keep that in mind, to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He also descended, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole earth or universe. So Christ gave himself, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. So what we want to arrive at at the end of uh, this whole sermon is that and I'll continue to encourage it and keep that in your mind, that the word pastor, especially in the context of Ephesians, is a gifting. It's not a, not a job title. So why we can't, or we don't necessarily use the word pastor to depict leader is because that means that maybe we think that it's not any one of your role to care for people. That's not true. Surely not. We'll keep going. So what does the pastoring gift look like? And as I said, let's have a look at what it means to be a literal sheep herder, a shepherd. A shepherd's job is to take care of his sheep. He feeds them. He leads them. 
He uh, brings them to the, to the greener side of the fence. He, uh, he protects them from enemies like wolves. He takes care of the sick ones, and he goes after the lost ones. And I'm just talking about sheep here. Everyone's mind is going, yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I hear about in the Bible, but I'm just talking about sheep. But I believe that there is more to just being a super caring person. I think we have this idea that to be pastorally gifted, all the pastors that we've had in our church, they're, they're meek and they're mild and they're super nice and they, they listen to your problems, maybe they sit down and have tea with you, listen to all your problems, and that's fine. But I think there's more to it than just all that. For example, if we go back to the analogy, what if a sheep starts diverting from the rest of the flock? What do you think the shepherd's going to do? You think he's going to let him just leave? No, that's his livelihood, and he cares about him. So he's going to use his stick to whack him back into the flock in a loving way, because he doesn't want to lose him. What if the sheep tries to walk off a cliff? Do you think he's going to let him do it? No, because that's his livelihood, but it's also he loves him. And he cares for him. He doesn't want to see him jump off a cliff. So what does he do? He tackles him to the ground and says, I'm not going to let you go over a cliff. And we're just talking about sheep here. I'm not talking about (laughs) leadership. I'm not talking about pastoring. What if there is a diseased sheep? And this is where it gets a bit serious. What if there is a diseased sheep and it has the chance to infect the rest of the flock? Do you think the shepherd is going to let him, let this sheep stay? And this is where the analogy, you can kind of understand where we're going for us, it's sin in the church. If there is sin in our church and it has potential to infect the rest of the flock and, and realize that, and people start re- thinking that it's okay for that sin to happen, then the role of someone who's pastorally gifted and pastoral will have to make that conscious decision to remove them from the flock for a period of time so as to not infect the rest of the flock, so as not to, to undo everything that the church stands for. So pastoring is more. If you have that gifting, it's more than just caring for people and wanting to shepherd people and, and be your best friend. It's, it, there's, there's discipline involved as well. That there's, there's, there's some hard truth, there's some hard love. I'm sometimes too good about the hard love. I don't have the grace. But what we definitely want to keep hammering home is that in the context of Ephesians, It's a gifting. It's a gifting. We read that in in Ephesians. It's a gifting. So if you think that only the leader is responsible to pastor the the, the flock, it's it's not true. And we will will see uh, this distinction between uh, what we see um, between uh, the gifting pastor and the role of an overseer or an elder, which we read in 1 Timothy, we read in Titus, we read in 1 Peter. If we, if we look at 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 2 to 7, it says, Now the overseer is above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. 
he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. If we are going to get specific and get into semantics, I think that's what our leaders are. We are overseers. And you don't see too much about this pastoral gifting in this description. There is bits and pieces, hospitable, good. You need to be hospitable. But these qualifications are, are a character thing. And what we read in Ephesians is that pastoring is a gifting given from Christ. Some leaders don't have that, that, that pastoral gifting that's just like coursing through their veins and that's why we can't always rely on the leader to, to minister to pastoral care to the flock. And what I want to continue to delve into that there's not just one pastor in the church, there's more pastors in the church. We can, we can go back to Ephesians, we'll go there in a sec, where it's, it's a pluralistic church. So, back into Ephesians 4, chapter 7, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw out some points it says in verse 7, to each one of us, grace has been given to everyone. So what does that say? But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned. Each one of us means everyone. Everyone has been given grace in the church when you come and believe in Jesus Christ. Everyone has been given grace. Verse 8, he gave gifts to the people. Plural, gifts, people, not just person, not just one, not just one dude, talking up on the stage that gets given gifts. All of us. Verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Again, plural and gifts. And verse 12, why? To equip his people for the works of service so that body, the body of Christ may be built up. Now, this equipping thing is crucial because this changes church from being a place where you sit down and get a nice message to help you on the way till the next week until you're feeling deflated and then come back. It's actually a call to be participatory in church. It's a call to, to know who you are in Christ, what gifts he has placed on your life, and to equip others. And so naturally, if we read and read between the lines in a sense, and, and I've been reading this for a month and just, just, just letting it meditate, and it is, it, it, it's in the equipping Naturally, if there is someone with a pastoral gifting on their life and they take this calling seriously, they will equip others with that pastoral gift. They will spend time with them. They will, they will teach them what it means to be pastoral. They'll teach them what it means to, to lay down their life for Jesus and live for them. So naturally, if there's only one person with a pastoral gifting at the moment, soon there will be more. And that goes double for all the rest. If you're apostolic you will equip people with this apostolic gifting. If you're an evangelist, you will equip people with this evangelistic gifting, and that is the call on the church, to equip. And so there can't be just one. There shouldn't be, and there can't be, because what we read here is that Christ wants everyone to be involved. He wants everyone to have a role. I think this, this smashes this idea that it just has to be that one person. 
up on the stage. And whatever denomination or, or um, church that you've been a part of in the previous, uh, before you've got here, I'm not here to, to rag on them and say that they're doing it wrong. I'm just saying what we will do in our church, in Divergent Church, is at times encourage you, put the pressure on, and, and realize that you are a part of this. That if we want to see the fullness of Christ, we want to see Christ's body in fullness and in maturity and, and being equipped to go out and to make other disciples, then we need to take this verse seriously. Don't we? Surely. And I want to continue by talking about the danger of relying on that one, one person to do it all. As I, as I shared with you, my dad, he, he, he was a minister, uh, he is a minister, and in the Baptist ministry, um, they, they do have this, this one leader who gets appointed, and he is expected to do a lot of work. And I believe that when we put this expectation on one person to do all the work, that A, it means we get to take a back seat, back seat but two, it, it doesn't allow the leader to be human. I'm going to be frank with you, I'm not perfect. Did you know that? Because I'm not. I have problems, I stuff up, I have fights with my wife. <laughs> I'm not perfect, but when we put these leaders up on a pedestal and expect them to do all the work, when they inevitably fall, and this is what happens sometimes, there is a lot of, um, you know, these, these things, these... these um, I've lost the word, these, um, anyway, they, they, you know, you, you hear of leaders, these scandals come out, that's the word, these scandals come out, and everyone's shocked, and like, where, where did this come from? I thought this guy was, it's because they bottle it in, because they're not allowed to, to fall, they're not allowed, and I'm not, I'm not um, advocating for them, what they've done is terrible, these scandals that have happened, but it, it breaks the church, because they put all their hope in, a, in one person who's just a person, who, who has problems in his life. We shouldn't be putting that hope, that expectation on someone. We're looking for Jesus and we're looking at a human in front of us. It's not going to work very well. But the second danger, and I think this is an important danger as well, is that we are ignoring the function of church. If we are relying on one person and just saying he or she is the gifted one, then that ignores Ephesians and that, that ignores all of your role here tonight in building up the body, in, in, in being part of the equipping. If we just put all our hope on one person and say he's going to take care of it, I am robbing you guys of the chance to partner with Christ on this great, great mission. It says in Romans 12, For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift 
is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. It is, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. And if it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I've been talking a lot about pastoring as a gift, but there are more gifts. There's, there's four more gifts in Ephesians, and there's a plethora of more gifts in Corinthians. You, right here, right now, whether you realize it or not, Christ is calling you to first be family, to first uh, know who he is and who you are in light of him, him the creator, you the created. Realize what Jesus Christ has done for you in dying and giving eternal life and then being worthy of the calling, and we're going to get to that in a minute, and, and taking up this calling of, of submitting to him, submitting your life to him and, and going, God, use me. Use me. That is when these gifts you'll start realizing. And it's also by spending time with the church. You never know who in this church is just going to have a word that's just going to unlock something that they've, they've been talking to God about. You never know. But you, you, you learn and you figure it out by, by being a part of the church and being involved, being a part of the, the people. And I'm not getting, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm you know, putting myself off the hook. I'm not saying, okay, great. If I tell everyone that they have a gifting on their life, I don't have to do anything. If you have a problem and you really need to talk to me, I'm going to be available for you. And so is Nicole. But what I want to tell you is that I'm not the only one. Nicole's not the only one. We've got LifeCom leaders. This is the important thing about LifeComs, that we have LifeCom leaders here that have the same thing. At the very least, they know who Christ is and they've submitted to him and they're willing for God to use them. But they also have giftings on their life. They have a pastoral gifting on their life where they only want the best for God's people. So don't feel like you need to come to me if you, if you haven't met me. If you don't know, you know, if I don't know your name, that's, that's, that's pretty awkward to come up and say, hey, I, I really need to tell you everything that's going on. But if you know your life comms leaders, that's what they're there for, to partner with, with, with the leadership team and, and to help you guys as well. And that is why it's so important to get into these life comms, get to know people, to be a part of the body. And this is so that, and it says in verse 13, the body may be built up. The body meaning us. Until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the, that's the end game. And we probably won't see it in this lifetime until Jesus returns. But in the meantime, we have enough of an understanding of what to do, what our step is. But if you're not quite there yet, and this is all new information, well, what, is, what does this mean? For you, what does this mean for me? And I want to point back to to the beginning of um, this passage in verse one. It says, "As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received." If that's new news to you and you don't know what that means, that's fine. That's awesome. Come on the journey with us. Spend time with our lifecom leaders. Spend time in church. I, we, Nicole and I, have people. And it's, it's our LifeCom leaders and our worship leaders and our, you know, they have these, this, this same understanding that, that the church's role is to equip and to help you realize the calling on your life, to help you realize 
what this calling even is. And if you don't know, quick hint for you, read Ephesians 1 to 3. Oh, I love Ephesians 1 to 3. It's just, it spends the first three chapters just talking about, you know, who God is, that he predestined you, and that's, that's a quick word. Everyone's like, ooh, predestination. No, but what I'm saying is that God wants you to be a part of his family and to partner with him and be united with him. That was always the plan, Genesis 1 was always the plan to be united with the Creator. And then the fall came. And then Jesus coming reunified that. And so now we have a relationship with our Creator. And that's amazing. So Ephesians 1 to 3 is, is all about reading about, knowing about who Christ is and who you are. And that's why when Ephesians 4, it, it's, it's this charge. It's like, I urge you. Please, I plead with you, live up to the life worthy of a calling you've received. It's in, in a sense, it's the gospel message. It's like the, lo the love of Christ had for us meant that he had no choice but to die for us. That he, in turn, asked us to believe in him so that we may have eternal life. John 3, 16, it's pretty standard, everyone knows it. But in return for that eternal life, in the meantime, while we're here... He wants us to live our lives as if it's not actually ours. Isn't that right? Isn't that what we read? And it's, it's easy to read. It's a lot harder to apply. But that's what we read. We read that, that in exchange for eternal life, Christ wants us, because he loves us, and he wants us to yeah, know what it means to be loved and know what it means to live for him, and give up our life. And that means sometimes giving up our, our, our dream jobs. That means sometimes giving up that extra paycheck. That means sometimes giving up that relationship that may not be fruitful, that may not be encouraging you to, to, to pursue Christ. And that's tough. I, I get it. I've been there. Not with Nicole, obviously, but I've been there. And getting your head around this is a tough one. But I know and I pray and I am encouraging you when you realise who God is and who Christ is, you realise what that means for your life and you start giving up things and pursuing Him, you will see a difference in your life. You will see fruit. You'll probably start seeing that you, you might have a hunger for the Word and you have a hunger for seeing other people fall in love with the Word. I would not love nothing more than to do a Word study for a week straight on just one Word. But that's not how we do it here, so come, come to me later and we can, we can get all nerdy. But what happened to me when I submitted to Christ is that I gained a passion for the Word. And as should everyone, but it, it, it's particularly sometimes annoying in my life. And ironically, I never thought I would be able to do public speaking. I, I always struggled in, in, in uh, school. And furthermore, my dad always said, have you ever thought about being a leader? Have you ever thought about being a pastor? And I'm like, no, Dad, I, can't, I can never do that. Through Christ alone and through submitting to him, I started figuring out, and spending time in the church, that was a big part of it, spending time with other leaders who were further along in their walk, I started realising that God wanted to use me.
and he wants to use you. And you will never feel more fulfilled, more at ease, more determined to live this life and, until you give up the things of this world because you're always going to be in this battle of what the flesh wants and what I want or what God wants. It was until I started giving up things and started committing to him and started listening to the people around me in the church that I started to see a difference in my life. It's a real relationship with Christ. That's what I have and that's what I want for you guys. In verse 1, it starts with submitting to his will. At the end of the passage, it's talking about this fullness of the body of Christ. And somewhere in the middle, it's about the giftings. And if you're not, if you're confused and, and um, you haven't heard this before, that's, that's fine. Come on the journey with us. Spend time with us. If you do know this calling that, that Christ has given to you, this gifting that he's given to you, and you're not using it, use it. Equip people. Help people. Be part of the church. And if you're somewhere in the middle, it's the same as the first one. Just keep coming on the journey. Keep asking the questions. Keep spending time with your Lifecom leaders. And I, I hope I've answered the, the question of, of, don't call me a pastor, but if you call me a pastor, I'll forgive you. It's fine. But the distinction and what we want to remember is that it's not my role to just pastor the church. It's not Nicole's role to just pastor the church. It's, it's, it's your role as well to pastor the church. And if you have that gifting on your life, it's your role to equip people to pastor. We're going to see things happen in this church, in Canberra, in this nation, when people realise the calling on their life and start submitting to him and start committing to the people around them and start loving them. We will, we will, we will see a people going out and ministering to others, leaning on the evangelists when the, when the introverted ones don't want to go. You've got the evangelists pushing through. You know, we need to use the whole body. And that is when we will see this kingdom. This, that is when we will see more people come. But I'm telling you, it starts with you. But... If, you, if you're scared, um, that's exactly how I felt. And that's how a lot of people have felt. Come along for the journey. Hook into life comms. Get to know us. Our heart is, is, is heavily rooted in the gospel. So don't think it's, it's just this stuff that we make up. And if you've got questions and you think, that's not quite right, Ryan, come talk to me. It's fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have a chat about anything we've talked about tonight. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, we... Uh, Lord, you are calling us to lay down our life for you like you laid your, down your life for all of humanity. And Lord, when we, when we think of that and we look at that, we go, I can't do that because I, I have this job that I want, I want this career, this one, I want this comfort in my life. And if I had lived for you, maybe I won't get these things. Maybe I won't feel fulfilled in life. Lord, help us to, to change that perspective and fix our eyes on you. Give us a faith 
to step out, to make waves, to be different, even in our own lives, to just to, to go a little bit differently from the rest of the herd. Lord, we have confidence that when we as a church submit to you and realize the calling on our life to serve you, that these gifts will start flowing in the church and that we will begin to see the fullness of Christ in this little loft in Canberra, but also beyond. Lord, for those who are not quite there, Lord, for those who have just turned to, rocked up to church for the first time, pray, Lord, that, that you touch them in one way or another, that you, that you, you put a thought in their mind that, that makes them want to, yeah, lean in a bit more and, and stay along for the journey, Lord. And Lord, for those who are stuck in, in the in-between, not quite sure what this calling is, Lord, I pray again that they, they, they just, at the end of the day, feel devoted to, to learning more about you and, and, and knowing of your glory. And Lord, lastly, I pray as, the, as ones who, are, who do know what their gifting is and, and what role they have to play in, in this ecclesia and this people, that they will, they will take on that calling and they will, they will start to equip others and share with others and help others in the church. And Lord, we have confidence that when this happens, that when we do all these things, we will begin to make disciples of Christ beyond here, in ANU, in your workplace, wherever you are. Lord, we pray that you are there with us, helping us, giving us power, giving us strength, giving us confidence. In Jesus' name, amen.